Chapter 9 of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Regiment of Women by Clemens Dane. Chapter 9. I had a letter from Louise yesterday, announced Claire. She was curled up in a saddlebag before the roaring golden fire and was busy with paper and pencil. Alwyn, big with her as yet unissued invitation, sat cross-legged on the white bearskin at her feet. The floor was littered with papers and book catalogues. At Christmas time, Claire ordered books as a housewife orders groceries, and she and Alwyn had spent a luxurious evening over her lists. The vivid flames lit up Claire's thin, lazy length and turned the hand she held up against their heat into transparent carnelian. Her face was in shadow, but there were dancing specks of light in her somber eyes that kept time with the leaping blaze. Claire was a sybarite over her fires. She would not endure coal or gas or stove. Wood and wood only must be used, and she would pay any price for applewood, ostensibly for the quality of its flame, secretly for the mere pleasure of burning fuel with so pleasant a name. For she liked beautiful words as a child likes chocolate. A sober... Acquisitive liking. She had, too, though she would not own it, a delight in destruction, costly destruction. She enjoyed the sensation of reckless power that it gave her. The trait might be morbid, but there was not a trace of pose in it. She could have enjoyed a Whittington bonfire without needing a king to gasp applause. Yet she shivered nightly as she undressed in her cold bedroom rather than commit the extravagance of an extra fire. She never realized the comicality of her contradictoriness, or even its existence in her character, though it qualified every act and impulse of her daily life. Her soul was, indeed, a hybrid, combining the temper of a Calvinist with the tastes of a Renaissance bishop. At the moment she was in gala mood. The autumn term was but four days dead. She had not had time to tire of holidays, though, within a week, she would be bored again and restless for the heavy work under which she affected to groan. Her chafing mind seldom allowed her indolent body much of the peace it delighted in, was ever the American in Lotus Land. It was fidgeted at the moment by Alwyn's absorption in a lavishly illustrated catalogue. Did you hear, Alwyn? A letter from Louise. Alwyn's O was absent. It was in the years of the Rackham craze and she had just discovered a reproduction of Midsummer Helen. Any message? Claire knew how to prod Alwyn. The girl glanced up, amused, but a little indignant. You've answered it already? Well, and the weeks I've had to wait sometimes. This was such a charming letter, said Claire smoothly. It deserved an answer. She really has the quaintest style, and Alwyn, never a blot or a flourish, it's a pleasure to read. Alwyn laughed ruefully. She would always squirm good-humoredly under Claire's pinpricks, with such amusement at her own discomfiture that Claire never knew whether to fling away her needle for good or, for the mere experiment's sake, to stab hard and savagely. At that stage of their intimacy, Alwyn's guilelessness invariably charmed and disarmed her, she knew that it would take a very crude display of cruelty to make Alwyn believe that she was being hurt intentionally. Claire was amused by the novel pedestal upon which she had been placed. She was accustomed to the panoply of Minerva, 
or the bow of Diana Huntress, but she had never before been hailed as Bonadilla. It tickled her to be endowed with every domestic virtue, to be loved, as Alwyn loved her, with the secure and fearless affection of a daughter for a newly discovered and adorable young mother. She appreciated Alwyn's determination of their relationship, her nice sense of the difference in age, her modesty in reserving any claim to an equality in their friendship, her frank and affectionate admiration, yet, while it pleased her, it could pique. Calm comradeship or surrendered adoration she could cope with, but the subtle admixture of such alien states of mind was puzzling. She had acquired a lover with a sense of humor, and she felt that she had her hands full. Her imperious will would, in time, she knew, eliminate either the lover or the humor. It annoyed her that she was not as yet quite convinced that it would be the humor. She intended to master Alwyn, but she realized that it would be a question of time, that she would give her more trouble than the children to whom she was accustomed. Alwyn's utter unrealization of the fact that a trial of strength was in progress was disconcerting. Yet Claire, jaded and super-subtle, found her innocence endearing. Without relaxing in her purpose, she yet caught herself wondering if an ally were not better than a slave. But the desire for domination was never entirely shaken off, and Alwyn's free bearing was in itself an ever-present challenge. Claire loved her for it, but her pride was in arms. It was her misfortune not to realize that, for all her Olympian poses, she had come to love Alwyn deeply and enduringly. Alwyn, meanwhile, laughing and pouting on the hearth, the firelight revealing every change of expression in her piquant face, was declining to be classed with Agatha Middleton. Her handwriting may be bad, but it was not beetle track. Anyhow, Queen Elizabeth had a vile fist. Claire admired Queen Elizabeth, didn't she? She had always so much to say to Claire, that if she stopped to bother about handwriting, had Claire never got into a row for untidiness in her own young days? Elspeth had hinted, but of course she reserved judgment till she had heard Claire's version. She settled to attention, and Claire, inveigled into reminiscences, found herself recounting quaint and forgotten incidents to her own credit and discredit, till, before the evening was over, Alwyn knew almost as much of Claire's school days as Claire did herself. She could never resist telling Alwyn's stories. Alwyn was always so genuinely breathless with interest. They returned to Louise at last, and Alwyn read the letter, chuckling over the odd phrases and dainty marginal drawings. She would have dearly liked to see Claire's answer. She was glad, for all her protests, that Claire had been moved to answer. She knew so well the delight it would give Louise. The child would need cheering up. For quite resignedly, and by the way, Louise had mentioned that the Denny family had developed whooping cough and emigrated to Dorquay, and she, in quarantine, though it was hoped she had escaped infection, was preparing for a solitary Christmas. Alwyn looked up at Claire with wrinkled brows. Poor child! But what can I do? I haven't had whooping cough, and Elsbeth is always so afraid of infection or else she could have come to us. I know Elsbeth wouldn't have minded. You are going to leave me to myself, then? You've quite made up your mind? Alwyn's eyes lighted up. Oh, Claire, it's all right. You are coming. At least, I mean, 
Elspeth sends her kindest regards. And she would be so pleased if you will come to dinner with us on Christmas Day, she finished politely. Claire laughed. It's very kind of your aunt. Yes, isn't it? said Alwyn, with ingenuous enthusiasm. I'm afraid I can't come, Alwyn. Alwyn's face lengthened. Oh, Claire, why ever not? Claire hesitated. She had no valid reason, save that she preferred the comfort of her own fireside, and that she had intended Alwyn to come to her. Alwyn's regretful refusal when she first mooted the arrangement, she had not considered final, but this invitation upset her plans. Elspeth's influence was opposing her. She hated opposition. Also, she did not care for Elspeth. It would not be amiss to make Elspeth, not her dislike of Elspeth, the reason for her refusal. It would have its effect on Alwyn sooner or later. She considered Alwyn narrowly as she answered, My dear, I had arranged to be at home, for one thing. Alwyn looked hurt. Of course, if you don't care about it, she began. Claire rallied her. Be sensible, my child. It is most kind of Miss Loveday, but wasn't it chiefly your doing, Alwyn? Imagine her dismay if I accepted. A stranger in the gate. On Christmas Day? One must make allowances for little prejudices, you know. She'll be awfully disappointed, cried Alwyn, so eager for Claire that she believed it. Will she? Claire laughed pleasantly. Everyone doesn't wear your spectacles. What would she do with me for a whole day? We shouldn't see her much, began Alwyn. She spends most of her time in church. I go in the morning. Yes, I'm very good, but I've drawn the line at turning out after lunch. Then why shouldn't you come to me instead? It would be so much better. I shall be alone, you know. Claire's wistful intonation was not entirely artificial. Alwyn was distressed. Oh, Claire, I'd love to. You know, I'd love to. But how could I? Elspeth would be dreadfully hurt. I couldn't leave her alone on Christmas Day. But you can me? Claire, don't put it like that. You know I shall want to be with you all the time. But Elspeth's like my mother. It would be beastly of me. You must put relations first at Christmas time, even if they're not first really. She smiled at Claire, but she felt disloyal as she said it, and hated herself. Yet wasn't it true? Claire came first, though Elspeth must never guess it. Dear old Elspeth was pretty dense. Thank goodness. Where ignorance is bliss, etc., etc., etc. Yet she, Alwyn, felt extraordinarily mean. Claire watched her jealously. She had set her heart on securing Alwyn for Christmas Day, and had thought, ten minutes since, with a secret confident smile, that there would not be much difficulty. And here was Alwyn holding out, refusing categorically. It was incredible, yet she could not be angry. Alwyn so obviously was longing to be with her, equally obviously prepared to risk her displeasure, a heavy penalty already, Claire guessed, to Alwyn, rather than ignore the older claim. Claire thought that an affection that could be so loyal to a tedious old maid was better worth deflecting than many a more ardent, unscrupulous enthusiasm. Alwyn was showing strength of character. She persisted, nevertheless. Well, it's a pity. I must eat my Christmas dinner alone, I suppose. 
Oh, Claire, you might come to us, cried Alwyn. I can't see why you won't. Claire shrugged her shoulders. If you can't see why, my dear Alwyn, there is no more to be said. Alwyn most certainly did not see, but Claire's delicately reproachful tone convicted her, and incidentally Elspeth, of some failure intact. She supposed she had blundered. She often did. But Elspeth, at least, must be exonerated. She did so want Claire to think well of Elspeth. She perjured herself in hasty propitiation. Yes, yes, I do see. I ought to have known, of course. Elspeth was quite right. She said you wouldn't all along. Oh? Claire sat up. Oh? Your aunt said that, did she? She spoke with detachment, but inwardly she was alert, on guard. Elspeth had suddenly become worth attention. Oh, yes. Alwyn's voice was rueful. She was quite sure of it. She said I might ask you, with pleasure, if I didn't believe her. You see, she'd love you to come, but she didn't think you would. I wonder, said Claire, laughing naturally. What made her say that? She said she knew you better than I did, confided Alwyn, with one of her spurts of indignation, as if... Yes, it's rather unlikely, isn't it? said Claire, with an intimate smile. But you're not going. I must. Look at the time. Elspeth will be having fits. Alwyn called from the hall where she was hastily slipping on her coat and hat. Claire stood a moment, thinking. So the duel had been with Elspeth. So that negligible and mouse-like woman had been aware, all along, had prepared, with a thoroughness worthy of Claire herself, for the inevitable encounter, had worsted Claire completely. It was amazing. Claire was compelled to admiration. It was clear to her now that Elspeth must have distrusted her from the beginning. It had been Elspeth's doing, not hers, that their intercourse had been so slight. Yet she had never restrained Alwyn. She had risked giving her her head. She was subtle. This affair of the Christmas dinner, for instance, Claire appreciated its cleverness. Elspeth had not wanted her, Claire now saw clearly, had been anxious to avoid the intimacy that such an invitation would imply, equally anxious, surely, that Alwyn should not guess her uneasy jealousy. So she had risked the invitation, counting on her knowledge of Claire's character, Claire stamped with vexation, that the woman should have such a memory, secure that Claire, unsuspicious of her motives, would, by refusing, do exactly as Elspeth wished. It had been the neatest of gossamer traps, and Claire had walked straight into it. She was furious. If Alwyn, maddeningly unsuspicious Alwyn, had but enlightened her earlier in the evening. Now she was caught, committed by her own decision of manner to the course of action she most would have wished to avoid. She could not change her mind now without appearing foolishly vacillating. It would not do. She had been bluffed successfully, gorgeously bluffed, and Elspeth was sitting at home enjoying the situation, too sure of herself and Claire, even to be curious as to the outcome of it all. She knew. Claire stamped again. Oh, but she would pay Elspeth for this. The case's belly was infinitely trivial, but the campaign should be Homeric, and this preliminary engagement could not affect the final issues. She always won in the end. But, after all, Elspeth could not be blamed. 
though she must be crushed. Alwyn was worth fighting for. Elspeth was a fool. If she had treated Claire decently, Claire might, possibly, have shared Alwyn with her. She believed she would have had scruples. Now they were dispelled. Alwyn, by fair means or foul, should be detached, should become Claire's property, should be given up to no living woman or man. She followed Alwyn into the hall and lit the staircase candle. She would see Alwyn out. She would have liked to keep Alwyn with her for a month. She was a delightful companion. It was extraordinary how indispensable she made herself. Claire knew that her flat would strike her as a dreary place to return to when she had shut the door on Alwyn. She would sit and read and feel restless and lonely, yet she did not allow herself to feel lonely as a rule. She scouted the weakness. But Alwyn wound herself about you, thought Claire, and you never knew, till she had gone, what a difference she made to you. She wished she could keep Alwyn another couple of hours, but it was eleven already. Her hold was not yet strong enough to warrant innovations to which Elspeth could object. Her time would come later. How much later would depend on whether it were affection that swayed Alwyn, or only a sense of duty. She believed, because she hoped, that it was duty. A sense of duty was more easily suborned than affection. For the present, however, Alwyn must be allowed to do as she thought right. Claire knew when she was beaten, and with her capacity for right admiration of virtues that she had not the faintest intention of incorporating in her own character, she was able to applaud Alwyn heartily. Yet she did not intend to make victory easy to her. They went down the flights of stairs silently, side by side. Alwyn opened the entrance doors and stood a moment, fascinated. Look, Claire, what a night! The moon was full and flooded earth and sky with bright, cold light. The garden, roadway, roofs, trees, and fences glittered like powdered diamonds, white with frost and moonshine. The silence was exquisite. They stood a while, enjoying it. Suddenly Claire shivered. Alwyn became instantly and anxiously practical. Claire, what am I thinking of? Go in at once. You'll catch a dreadful cold. With unusual passivity, Claire allowed herself to be hurried in. At the staircase, Alwyn said goodbye, handing her her candle and waiting till she should have passed out of sight. On the fourth step, Claire hesitated and turned. Alwyn, come to me for Christmas? Alwyn flung out her hands. Claire, I mustn't. Alwyn, come to me for Christmas? You know I mustn't. You know you'd think me a pig if I did now, wouldn't you? I expect so. But I'll come in for a peep at you, cried Alwyn, brightening, while Elspeth's at afternoon service. I could do that, and to say Merry Christmas. Come to dinner? I can't. Then you needn't come at all, Claire turned away. Alwyn caught her hand as they leaned on the balustrade. In the other, the candle shook a little. Lady Macbeth, dear Lady Macbeth, Miss Hartle of the Upper Sixth, whom I'm scared to death of, really. You're behaving like a very naughty small child. Now, aren't you? Honestly? Oh, do turn round and crush me with a look for being impudent, and then tell me that I'm only doing what you really approve. I don't want to, Claire, but you know you hate selfishness. Claire looked down at her. All right, Alwyn, you must do as you like. Say good night to me. 
demanded Alwyn. Nicely, Claire, very nicely. It's Christmas time. Carefully Claire deposited her candlestick on the stair above. Leaning over the banisters, she put her arms round Alwyn and kissed her passionately and repeatedly. Good night, my darling, said Claire. Then, recoiling, she caught up her candlestick and, without another word or look, hurried up the stairs. Alwyn walked home on air. End of chapter 9. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen. Gilbert, Arizona.